so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the Digital Public Square, a podcast from the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission about ethics, theology, and philosophy in today's society. I'm your host, Jason Thacker, and I serve as Chair of Research and Technology Ethics and also help lead the ERLC Research Institute. Each week, I'm joined by some of society's most influential thinkers, writers, and leaders to talk about the important ideas shaping our society today, as well as some of the top issues of life in the digital public square. Our goal with this podcast is to equip you to navigate these issues with biblical wisdom and insight. As always, alongside this podcast, we also have the Weekly Tech newsletter that you can sign up to receive each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing ethical issues of technology, as well as life in the digital public square. You can subscribe now at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. In today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Ryan Putman, who's a professor of Christian ministries at William Baptist University in Arkansas, as well as the author of The Method of Christian Theology, A Basic Introduction. Today, we talk about Christian truth and the theological method. Dr. Putman also serves as an Associate Vice President for Academic Affairs and Director of Worldview Formation at WBU. He also is an Associate Professor of Theology and Culture at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, where he served since 2010. He's published numerous volumes and articles, including In Defense of Doctrine, as well as his latest, When Doctrine Divides. And now let's join our conversation. Well, Dr. Putman, thank you so much for joining us today on the Digital Public Square. To get started, can you tell us a little bit about what drove you to formally study theology and kind of the story behind this book, The Method of Christian Theology? Sure, Jason. Well, the the short version is I was a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church. I grew up with a, a love for the Bible, and uh, over the years, I just started asking a lot of questions that ended up driving me to study theology formally. I went to a, uh, a small Baptist college, in fact, the university where I presently teach, and uh, you know, we didn't have a strong theological emphasis at the time. We were you know, mainly kind of oriented in biblical studies and uh, I always had cantankerous questions that went beyond really specifically what biblical studies addressed and ways I was trying to understand the Bible as a whole, the ways I was trying to understand the way parts of the canon related to one another. And uh, when I went to seminary, I studied biblical studies with the expectation that I was going to go and do Ph.D. work in theology. And what I really wanted to do was find ways to bring those two worlds together in biblical studies and theology. So that's really what drove me to my research interest in theological method. And I found that theological method and hermeneutics gave me a way to understand the way we get from our Bible, our exegesis, to the formation of Christian doctrine. And 
really haven't taken a break from that subject since. Well, that's one thing that I really love about this volume is because you don't see a lot done on theological method. I mean, obviously, it's a formal discipline. It's a formal uh, area of study within theology. But there just aren't a lot of books, especially from an evangelical perspective, on theological method. Because I think for most, when they hear the word theology, they immediately go to the doctrine of God, the nature of creation, the nature of the Trinity, spiritual gifts, and a lot of these other kind of hot button topic kind of theological controversies in some circles. But you state early on in the book that your intention with this volume was to introduce readers to an overlooked and underdeveloped area. So why study theological method? What is theological method, I guess, to start with? And then why should we as Christians formally study this? Sure. Well, theological method is what every theologian does. We all practice theology in some form or fashion. Whether you are an academic theologian who's studying theology and teaching theology, you know, in a professional level where you're training pastors and you're training future church leaders, all the way down to a lay person, a lay person who is who is trying to make sense of what the Bible says and apply it to their lives. Everybody practices some kind of method, but very often we just sort of skip over critical reflection on how we move from the Bible to doctrine and just sort of jump into it. And I mean, there is the opposite danger where you spend so much time thinking about method that you never get around to actually practicing theology. Uh, Anthony Thistleton said a lot of theological method could feel like overture without an opera. And uh, I think that that's a reality too. So what I wanted to do was try to bring evangelical Christians into this conversation. And And it's a larger academic conversation about the move from Bible to theology and help them just sort of think critically about the process of doing theology, what theology is. I mean, that's a big question that we have to ask. What is theology to begin with? What is truth in theology? What function does the Bible play in theology? What function do other disciplines like philosophy or church history play in the formation of Christian doctrine? But I was really interested in addressing this for the church and specifically ways in which theology shapes and informs Christian disciple-making. And uh, I believe that there's good stuff out there, but it just needed to be made more accessible to broader audiences. Yeah, that's one of the strengths that I see in the book is that you took it from just, you write early on that you're not writing to sustain kind of academia in some senses. You're writing for the church. You're writing for the local church in many ways. And that's kind of a perk of your book is I think it's extremely readable and approachable for most folks. So how can you explain a little bit more of how the relationship of theology to say Christian missions or Christian ethics or to Christian living and discipleship, what is that connection? Because you do a really good job explaining that early on in the book. And I just kind of want to sum that up for listeners. Sure. Well, over the years, I've kind of come to understand theology is focused on critical reflection on God's revelation for the purpose of Christian disciple-making. And the way that I envision that working out is disciple-making in informing and shaping the worldviews of disciples. And so there's been a lot of great, again, high-level scholarly stuff that's been published over the years about what worldviews are and how worldviews function. And typically when there's publications oriented towards broader audiences and worldviews, it's 
it's really geared towards apologetics or, you know, comparative religion. What I really wanted to do is say, this is how Christian thinking works. It's an interaction with the way that we see the story of the whole world. That's the, the biblical theology aspect, the grand narrative of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, how that interacts with, you know, truth, you know, the sort of systematic, sometimes existential questions we ask about what it means to be a human being, what kind of world we live in, what's wrong with the world, what's the solution and what's the hope for the world. And then that that interacts very plainly with practice and practice for Christian theologians can be about ethics. It can be about how is it that we make ethical decisions? And I think that's a huge part of doctrinal development. But I also think practice involves what does it mean to be a, a member of a local church? What does it mean to be a participant in a faith community? What does it mean to obey the Great Commission? And so it's one of those things where our doctrine should not just be a set of propositional statements about what we believe about the world. It should also inform our practice and lastly, shape our affections, our heart, our attitudes, the desires of our heart. And uh, I mean, we are not monolithic persons. We, we are made up of, of head, heart, and hands, and all of those things in Christian discipleship need to come together. And I think theological method and, and theology in general can provide us a way to disciple all three aspects of a human being. Yeah. So to dig in a little bit then on theology, because I think when most people hear theology, it term it's this broad concept often means in some circles, you kind of lump in biblical studies, ethics, kind of anything that a Christian does kind of falls under the banner of theology. Can you define what theology is and compare that to like theology proper, which is the doctrine of God, as well as kind of what falls under the broad category of theology or theological studies? Well, in the first chapter of the book, what I do is I spend uh, a significant amount of time talking about the different ways that people use the term theology. And uh, there's some sort of popular level ways that people use that, like uh, they talk about theology being any set of beliefs that a person has about God or what a particular church teaches, like that televangelist has a bad theology, so on and so forth. And then there's that really broad academic sense that you just referred to that, you know, anything that's really taught in a seminary would fall under that definition of theology, whether it was biblical studies or church history or pastoral counseling or something like that. They would all fit under that broader category of theology. But I'm specifically speaking as a systematic theologian who's concerned about, you know, organized critical reflection on God. And, and that's the definition that I provide for systematic theology. It is critical and organized reflection on God's self-revelation for the purpose of growing in Christ and making disciples. And so what I see systematic theology doing is being not a king over all the other theological disciplines, but a conversation partner or, or in some ways a moderator who helps these other theological disciplines understand how they are to interact with one another in ways in which, you know, obviously biblical studies can inform Christian doctrine, but so too can philosophy, so too can ethics, and so on and so forth. And uh, I think systematic theology has to be sort of the, 
conversation partner that engages with all of those groups. Yeah, that's one thing, especially as I've taught my students in worldview analysis this semester, is starting kind of walking through some of the big doctrines and understanding that these kind of sets of beliefs, these um, systemized and kind of organized uh, pieces of theology and theological knowledge come together and are really key for understanding the Christian worldview. But I think often one of the things that happens is that we also fail to understand sometimes the relationship between theology and ethics. And that's one of the things that I was really excited to have you on the podcast to talk about was because you're a systematic theologian and I am a Christian ethicist. And so when I talk about these issues, often I think ethics kind of sometimes takes a side seat or a back seat to theology. I mean, we, as you referenced earlier, a lot of uh, seminaries are theological seminaries, are theological schools. And so theology becomes this kind of broad umbrella term. But as I've done a lot of research and read, especially evangelical titans or even just reformed titans like Herman Bavink or Carl F.H. Henry, even getting back to um, Christoph Luthart, when he talks about loving God, the nature of Christian theology or Christian doctrine is God loving us, and us loving God is the kind of summation of Christian morality. In your mind as a systematic theologian, what is the relationship between theology and ethics, and how do these two things interplay with one another? Again, I think it comes down to a worldview. A worldview involves praxis. And it's not just abstract ideas. It's not just, a, a again, a, a string of here are, you know, the statement of beliefs that we have, a statement of beliefs that don't motivate us to action, pretty useless. You know, Vance Havner, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to botch what he said here, but Vance Havner uh, gave this great quote many years ago where in which he said, you show me what a person does and I'll tell you what he actually believes. And I think that a person who practices Christian ethics is a person who who actually lives out what he, you know, professes to be true. And so I, I think that a lot of theology, particularly in the 20th century and probably a little bit before that as well, it's kind of runs into this habit of let me give you a string of propositions that are statements that are true and false about God, about his world, but sometimes forget to leave that next step. How do we put this into play? How do we put this into practice? And I'm encouraged. I think by and large, evangelical theologians are kind of moving away from that. I mean, even when you look at, you know, something like Wayne Grudem's big systematic textbook, he's he's really written the ethics book as a follow-up, you know. I see that a lot of theologians have done things like this. Kevin Van Hooser's work has done this. I mean, he's he's really pushed us to, to understand the connection between doctrine and life. I could go on down the list of, of people who've done this. A lot of people in the Reformed tradition, obviously, here. But I see that connection really rooted in worldview. To believe something means you need to practice it. Also, you know, my dissertation book was on the topic of um, the development of Christian doctrine over time. And, um, you know, in some cases, like dealing with the doctrine of the Trinity, the fourth century formulations and the fifth century formulations on the doctrine of Christ were really sort of a making explicit what was implicit in the biblical text. However, some developments over time really were sort of forced by the situation the cultural moment, the time and place in history that we find ourselves. 
And uh, I mean, I, I refer to this in the book. Your your work on artificial intelligence is one of those things that is sort of prompted by something that that our forefathers never could have predicted. I mean, what do you do with technology? How do you? What is the Christian way to use technology? And you know, again, for two millennia, most definitions of marriage were simply assumed, and now we're in a whole new world about marriage and, and gender and sexuality conversations in a post-sexual revolution. So it's incumbent upon us to develop biblically rooted theological and ethical answers to the questions that our culture is asking, not, not in the way of, you know, say the liberals who, who let, the, let the culture dictate the theological scheme, but it is upon us to, to try to answer some of these difficult questions that are posed by culture and do so in a way that's faithful to the Bible, even if the Bible doesn't directly address these issues. And so, again, that's one of those places, I think, doctrine and ethics, it's, they're almost indistinguishable at that point. Yeah. And I think that's where you see that throughout the evangelical tradition, especially where a lot of theologians have written on ethics, even John Murray. Um, you see this in a lot of kind of modern day ethicists have a, a systematic background. And there's nothing wrong with that by any means. I agree with you. And in many ways, some people assume or see ethics as just a mere application of theology. But it, I think, and you're right, is there's kind of been a resurgence in recent generations, especially the recent decade or two, where there's a lot of kind of budding Christian ethicists, Christian philosophers who are coming back to those worldview questions that you addressed earlier and seeing how all of these things tie together, the beautiful kind of inextricable relationship between theology and ethics about God loving us and us loving God, or kind of going into Matthew 22, where Jesus says, the summation of the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. How do we respond and how do we live in light of these gospel truths? And I think that's something that's pretty eye-opening for folks. I wasn't taught that. I mean, I've told you this a thousand times, but I'll say it again for listeners' sake, is I wasn't taught theological method in seminary. It was kind of assumed that I would know these things, at least coming in. But as someone who didn't have a rich theological background and also hadn't been a Christian that long, I had maybe been a Christian for four years or five years. I had a felt a calling into serve the local church in any way that God saw fit. Um, he had very different ideas of where I've ended up than where I originally thought I would. But it's really encouraging to have a book like this. And this is why I recommend listeners to grab a copy and why I wanted to have you on the podcast is because a lot of these things are kind of just basic Christian discipleship. Understanding not only the kind of academic disciplines that are at play here, but how does this all line up with Christian worldview? So I want to speak a little bit more to that. What is a Christian worldview per se? Uh, sometimes that language carries some extra baggage. Um, but as you've been teaching Christian worldview there at WBU um, and, uh, and other places, what is a Christian worldview and how does that align and kind of help us to understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ? Yeah, and part of the difficulty with that phrase is the word worldview has sort of fallen out of popularity in the last couple of years with some of the alternatives like social imaginaries. And there's a lot of baggage that is sometimes assumed that comes with the, with the language of worldview. And I don't get too hung up on the word. I mean, I, I think we all have to have some idea of a frame of reference from which we see the world. I think 
the danger that's been posed to some definitions of worldview is they're overly intellectual. They're overly cognitive. And a worldview has to entail more than just a set of beliefs. It also involves the heart and the affections. And I think we can do it, do can do a course correction too much where we ignore the cognitive dimensions of yeah. worldview. So that's what I tried to keep in balance. In some ways, the things that I've learned from people like N.T. Wright about the nature of a worldview. And I think Jamie Smith has some some helpful things to say, really from the Augustinian tradition, about what it what it means to love. You are what you love, and and the way that that uh, your worldview is connected closely to your affections and your practices. And so again, I, I tell everybody, everybody has a worldview. There's no escaping your worldview. We all have a particular lens through which we see the world. And that's, of course, is a metaphor for the way that we interact with the world. We all are connected to the world through our beliefs, through our feelings, and through our practices. And so what a Christian worldview is, a Christian worldview is a way of seeing the world that's informed by the gospel and being transformed by the gospel. And that includes, again, a change of beliefs at the intellectual or cognitive level. It involves a change of practice, the practical level, and a change of feelings and affections at the level of the heart. And so I think a, a really robust view of a Christian worldview can't be purely anthropological. It also has to involve these other dimensions as well. Yeah, that's. Uh, I guess it was last year now we had Dr. Jonathan Pennington from Southern Seminary on to talk about his book, Jesus the Great Philosopher. And he uses this really brilliant metaphor, kind of illustration that is talking about a, a compartmentalized life as kind of a chest of drawers or a dresser. Um, I'm from the South, so I always say dresser. But this idea is that we often compartmentalize our life. And I think what you've done really well in the book, but also just kind of this overall understanding of a Christian worldview is that our life isn't compartmentalized. We don't have theology over here and ethics in another drawer and kind of these things are segmented or disconnected. And that's almost some of the beauties of the Reformed tradition as well, is seeing all of these things as a full life, a life that's not only understanding who God is and what he's done for us, how he's created us in his image, and how, but also how he calls us to live. And so earlier you mentioned talking a little bit about some of these kind of more modern ethical challenges or theological challenges. We see this, especially in the technology front. Um, you mentioned some of the work we've done on AI and also some of the work that we do kind of in the broader kind of digital public square. I think some people, when I'll talk about artificial intelligence, they immediately say, well, Jesus didn't say anything about technology or Paul didn't say anything about artificial intelligence or social media. So how does the Bible have anything to say about those issues? And so from a systematic theologian, how would you respond to that type of question where someone says the Bible doesn't really speak to this issue, so we just kind of, not that we just figure it out, we try to do it with wisdom, but there isn't any directly applicable biblical teachings to those areas. How would you respond to a question like that? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things that the Bible doesn't directly address that that's a huge part of our culture that we have to have some sort of answer for. The Bible doesn't directly address abortion, but every evangelical should have think, a biblically informed opinion about abortion. The Bible doesn't directly address transgenderism, but I think every informed evangelical Christian should have, should have some convictions about what the Bible teaches in response to those things. So 
I think what we have to do is we have to have what I think is a proper understanding of what it means for Scripture to be sufficient for the formation of doctrine in the Christian worldview. And there is a tendency among some evangelicals and probably a tendency among some who aren't even Christians who want to use that as an excuse not to address some of these issues, that biblicism is you know, confined or constrained to what the Bible explicitly or directly teaches. And I don't think any biblical writer would think along those lines. And I think really what the Bible is trying to do is teach us how to live in the world, how to be wise and make, and you're going to use that term wisdom, but that's, that's an important term in the theological uh, literature of recent years to talk about theology is wisdom. It's learning how to think God's thoughts after him in dealing with issues that weren't maybe directly addressed by scripture. And, uh, you know, I use this analogy from Kevin Van Hooser. I use it all the time about, uh, you know, the Bible being, you know, sort of like a five act play, you know, act one creation in the fall, act two, God's work in and through Israel, act three, the public ministry of Jesus, act four, the church age, act five, the eschaton or last things in times, and that we are presently living in act four of the grand story of the Bible, but a few pages of the script are missing. So what we're trying to learn how to do is we're trying to learn how to improvise in a way that is consistent with what the Bible does directly teach us and tell us to do in new settings, in new places, with new characters, in a way that's faithful to what's gone on before. So, I mean, it's just a matter of uh, learning how to think biblically beyond what the Bible explicitly says. And, um, you know, if we know something about the character of God, if we know something about what he designed human beings to be, then we can take those things into a culture that really is is in opposition to those characterizations of God or those characterizations of humanity and put them in stark contrast. That's what we get to do in theological improv. Yeah, often when I'm asked those questions, I respond with something very similar to say that it's not that we're being asked new questions or that we're asking new questions per se in kind of the modern technological age that we live in, is that we're often asking age-old questions in light of new opportunities. So some of the fundamental issues that we're facing today, whether it be artificial intelligence or the digital public square or transgenderism, religious liberty issues, kind of a host of kind of just ethical issues in general, often at their root or at their core are some of these kind of fundamental beliefs about who God is. This is what I teach my worldview students is that you have understandings of God um, as an aspect of a worldview or Christian worldview, particularly man or anthropology, the study of humanity, how God created us in his image, an understanding of the world and the nature of the world, also a nature of truth, as well as the nature of morality. And those kind of five aspects that I borrow heavily from Ronald Nash, uh, a philosopher that taught at RTS and taught at Southern for a long time. I like those categories. I just kind of rearrange them a little bit because to me, it makes a lot more sense is that you start with God and work your way all the way to ethics. So you're starting with theology and you work your way to ethics. But in the middle of that, there's a lot of philosophy. There's a lot of teaching about who we are and what it means to be created in God's image. And those are kind of those fundamental principles that then apply when we're ish facing issues of transhumanism, for example. 
is that there's a questioning of what does it really mean to be human? And that's a question that is being wrestled with across science and across technology even today. But it really goes back to some of those fundamental understandings of who God is, how he has created us in his image, and what does it mean to live in this world faithful, not only to what he has spoken to us, but also what he's called us and how he's called us to live. One of the things that I wanted to kind of shift a little bit as we kind of near our time is how do you see theological method playing out in the public square? So a lot of the questions that we deal with at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission surround the nature of public theology. So how does theological method inform or help to even form how we respond and how we represent Christ in the public square? Well, there's a couple of different ways I think that plays out. For one thing, in the in the book, you know, I have a dialogue, and this seems to be an ongoing debate within, you know, evangelical life about to what degree should Christians be engaged with non-Christian sources and authorities, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that that has been a a pretty heated debate, you know, in in recent years, particularly over race issues and that sort of thing. But it but it could extend to any number of other areas. So I think what theological method can do is kind of help us work through some of those questions about what it means for the Bible to be authoritative and the ways in which the Bible can help us correct mistaken assumptions from other from other worldviews and other philosophical systems and concepts. That's certainly part of it. But I also think theological method can inform our practice and the way that we represent Christ, the way that we address people in the public square, particularly people who don't share our worldview, who don't share our convictions. And uh, in the book, I deal with the difference between what I call the theologian in the flesh and the theologian in the spirit, sort of the spiritual dimension of theology. And and, it, and I, I deal with this a lot. And when doctrine divides the people of God, as well, just the idea of trying to be a spirit-filled believer who engages with, you know, an ironic spirit, charitable, and again, we're trying to persuade people, not alienate people or get clickbait, you know, the sort of things that we oftentimes see a lot of people who, who profess to be Christians in our world do these days, so... No, I think that's really helpful. And kind of seeing how all of these things tie together, I think is really, many ways, the purpose of theological method is you're seeing how all these various areas of theology and Christian studies and biblical studies and philosophy and ethics and all of these things tie together um, as believers under that rubric of discipleship and worldview. As we end our time together, one of the things that I think is so good about your book, and one of the reasons I'm so excited to recommend it, not only here on the podcast, but also I recommend it in the classroom, is that it's a kind of a full-orbed introduction. You don't just talk about theological method in the sense of like the academic discipline. You don't just get into kind of the way all these kind of various areas and disciplines fit together, but you also get into kind of tips on writing and preaching and academic study and, uh, you know, even how to write a theological research paper. And I think this is an invaluable resource, especially for first-time theology students, college students, seminary students. It can be a really helpful resource But throughout the book, I think you model really well as recommending resources. 
throughout the book, whether it be in footnotes or in the back is kind of further reading. And so the way I want to end the podcast today is just asking you, what are some further reading? What are a couple books that you might recommend for listeners if they're kind of intrigued by certain aspects of the conversation, if they want to go a little bit deeper? I know you've mentioned Kevin Van Hooser a few times. His book, Hearers and Doers, that was published by Lexham is really fantastic because it's not only about theology, but gets into the doing aspect, the ethical aspect. What does it mean to live this? out. Uh, But what are some other recommended resources that you would have for listeners? Well, I mean, if you wanted to get into Kevin's stuff with drama, I mean, his big, you know, tome on that is the drama of doctrine, but he's also done an abridged version, which is a little bit more accessible to a broader audience. And that's Faith Speaking Understanding, which is a fantastic book. With regards to some of the things that we talked about that, you know, doing irenic theology and uh, theology that is winsome in the public square that, that speaks well to people. If anybody hasn't read Gavin Ortland's new book, Finding the Right Hills to Die On, I yeah. strongly recommend that. That book came out the same time that When Doctrine Divides came out. They both came out from Crossway. Mine was far more academic and his was far more accessible. This is a book I wish I would have written uh, in certain ways. But uh, man, it, it, I can't recommend that book enough to lay people or to theology students. And um, a practical primer on theological method for those who are interested in it by Glenn Kreider and Michael Spiegel. Fantastic little book that takes a very different approach to theological method than what I do. But I, I really, really enjoyed it as well. And it's very, very accessible and really kind of cleverly conceived because it's, they use this metaphor of the table and the different chairs sitting around the table. Have you had a chance to read that? I haven't yet. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. I mean, it's again, very different from mine, but I like it a lot. Well, we'll make sure to link to all of those in the show notes so the listeners can grab a copy as well as your book, The Method of Christian Theology. We'll make sure to link to that there in the show notes. But Dr. Butman, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on the Digital Public Square. I really have been blessed by your work, not only this book, but kind of your overall work, and also the way you approach these things. I think that kind of winsomeness, but also the idea of being faithful, but also being full of grace and truth, I think is something that you model really well as an academic, as a scholar, also as a practitioner. And so I just want to thank you for joining us here on the podcast today. I appreciate that, brother. Thank you. Well, from all of us here at the Digital Public Square, I want to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really help us to know how we're doing and to share the word about the podcast with others. As a reminder, you connect with Dr. Putman and learn more about his new book, as well as the recommended resources he mentioned in the show notes. Also, make sure to sign up to receive the weekly tech email briefing each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing ethical issues of technology, as well as the top issues in the digital public square. You can sign up at jasonpacker.com slash weeklytech. Thank you, and I hope you have a great week. Mm-hmm.